0: Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited to welcome back to the show, after many moons, uh, Michael Stein. He is an absolutely brilliant person. He has so many hats. He is the senior staff writer for DC Beer. He is the president of Lost Loggers. He is part of the League of Historians for the Chicago Brusium, and I am very excited to have him back on the show. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be back.
0: And I'm I adore the title League of Historians. <laughs> For Chicago Brewsium, because it's like my mind immediately wants to go into like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or
1: something like that. Yeah, just (laughs) no, it's it is an extraordinary league. And we have, uh, you know, locally, Teresa McCullough, America's beer historian Uh, over in in Ireland. There's a a Dr. Christina Wade. There's Peter Simons in Australia. And then uh, Ron Pattinson, uh, who is in Amsterdam and was just in D.C. last month. We uh, we made some beer in town. And, uh, he sold some books locally. So it's, you know, it, it really is a wonderful group. There's 12 of us on the league and it's just like, it's wonderful to surround yourselves with people you look up to. So I'm, I'm grateful for the Chicago Brusium for, uh, letting me do that.
0: So we were lucky enough, uh, to do a show with Liz Garibay uh, from the, um, the founder of the Chicago Brusium. Can you just give a quick synopsis of like, what, league a league of historians does for the museum
1: so the league is just two years old i think we found it in 2020 i want to say maybe 2019 but um really during pandemic um and pre uh vaccine times we started uh zooming we would we would host uh these zooms and um you know, Liz was looking to put together a team of uh, historians, you know, public historians, private historians, academic, academicians. Um, so Jennifer Jordan is the uh, chair of sociology, I think, at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, but she's also uh, a wonderful researcher. She's has a, a manuscript on hops she's working on. But um, we would zoom, you know, doing you can you can find some of the work on um on YouTube, if, if you check out the Chicago Bruseum, you can get uh, to their YouTube page and there's a bunch of presentations um, and things we've done. We, the League of Historians. Um, so Peter Simons has uh, he did a, a Bruseum Zoom on uh, uh, Australian beer. I think specifically the dark beers of Australia, so like Porter and Stout. Um, Dr. Wade, Dr. Christina Wade, did a presentation, I want to say, on uh, like Irish or Dublin. Uh, I want to say like medieval or maybe Viking, Viking beer. She's um, a, a specialist in that time period. Um, and then, yeah, so basically it's, it's a collection of historians and, and we love uh, having one another in one group, one cohesive unit. Um, we're all pretty much doing our own thing, but we come together, you know, we form like Voltron and we do our, <laughs> our Transformers uh, beer history together.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I pictured it. And I also feel like there's like some kind of like battle cry, like, you know, League of Historians,
1: assemble. <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, you just call it out and then 12 of us materialize. It's behind a screen of smoke and uh, embers, you know.
0: That's great. I'm really happy that that's how it actually happens. <laughs> um, uh, and also, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about What Lost Loggers is and what you what you do, because I think uh, it's just it's
1: fantastic. Yeah. So Lost Loggers is uh, D.C.'s premier beverage research firm. So what does that mean? Um, We myself and my colleague, Peter Jones, uh, research beer history, cider history and wine history. Um, We haven't dabbled too much in hard alcohol, but we do work uh, primarily with breweries uh, to tell stories, to get the stories out behind beers. Um, originally the project was born, um, out of a want to brew 50 lost loggers or extinct ales in 50 States, uh, as well as the district of Columbia, which we've now brewed plenty of beers in DC. Uh, we haven't checked Puerto Rico off the list, but that's high up there. I definitely want to, want to get, um, get to the Island and make some beer there. Um, but so basically we take old recipes and we brew them new and we take, you know, boring, dry history and, and make it bubbly and effervescent uh, for modern palates. Um, so the most recent beer uh, we just brewed, we uh, it was canned week before last with Key Brewing. Um, Key Brewing is in Dundalk, Maryland. And so they had their seventh anniversary and they wanted to do a dark lager. Um, so, uh, their brewer, uh, Derek Davis reached out to me. Um, I'd known Derek for years. He used to brew at the Pratt street ale house, um, before they moved to Shannon drive. And now they're a big production hub. Uh, but Pratt street had this little brew pub. And so I met him there, uh, along with their former head brewer, Steve Jones. Um, but he knew he wanted to make a dark lager. So, uh, I was like, well, you know, they've been brewing dark lager in Prague since like you know, the 15th century, like, is there a basis for that? And he and his wife had just returned actually from Prague. They uh, spent some time in the Czech Republic and Germany. Um, So Derek knew that he wanted to do a dark lager. I helped him out. And now if you uh, buy Key Brewing 7th Anniversary Lager, you'll see Michael Stein's name on the can. (laughs) You can taste the the fruits of our labor. Um, But I I think that uh, though Key Brewing is turn just turned seven years old. I don't think they had ever brewed um, a dark lager in the sort of Czech style. Um, and that really gets at the heart of lost lagers, which is like, I can just sit there and bore you with years of, of history about a uh, Czechia, you know, the Czech Republic or Bohemia, or I can hand you this beverage and be like, this is dark. It's gonna taste a little sweet. It's not actually gonna taste bitter. It's gonna right? And like kind of, uh, it's just a more palatable way to present um, the history. And then once we get into really challenging things like race, class, gender, and religion, uh, it's nice to have a dark lager to go alongside, you know, Catholicism, uh, Judaism, and uh, Lutheranism as we talk of Bohemian history.
0: (laughs) For sure. And the reason why I specifically wanted to have you on the show today is because I wanted to do a super deep dive on Icebox. This Mm. is a style that isn't super common, but at the end of the day, it is a logger. So I said, okay, well, who better than the president <laughs> of Lost Loggers to talk about a style that maybe isn't as popular um, yeah. as it used to be. So right. without further ado, I was hoping for our listeners, you could kind of outline the very, very basics. What is sure. Eisbach?
1: Yeah. ice. you know, in German is Eis, E-I-S. Um, so it's a Bach beer and you know Bach traditionally, at least in Germany, is a beer that's stronger than your average lager. Let's say a Helles or a Pilsner might be 4% alcohol by volume or 5% alcohol by volume, um, whereas Eisbach is gonna start much stronger, uh, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14% uh, ABV. Um, so it's definitely a beer of wine strength. Um, and that's the rough sketch of it. Generally, it's going to be darker than uh, Pilsner and Hellas, um, whereas those beers are pale. Most of the bock you're going to encounter has a little more color. Um, so it might be, you know, uh, amber with ruby highlights or it might be ruby with, um, you know, uh, light brown highlights. Um, but it's also a beer that's steeped in a sort of uh, mythology, if you will. Um, and as much as, uh, I am always asking for German and Czech imports around town here in the DC metropolitan area, this one was really hard to find. Um, but, uh, it's a beer that the story goes, if you go to, uh, Kulmbacher, uh, there is a brewery. So Kulmbach is a town in Germany or it's an area of Germany. Uh, but the Kuhlmbacher Brewery uh, has on their website, according to legend, <laughs> and this and, and then we get into the legend, which is that. Um, The ice owes its development to a happy coincidence around 1900 on a harsh winter's day. A brewery apprentice forgot to carry the barrels filled with Bach beer down to the cellar. And so we have no idea if this story is completely apocryphal, if they just made it up um, or, you know, or if really in 1900 this happened. Um, It doesn't matter because, you know, stories sometimes make uh, for better storage ability <laughs> than the truth, uh, getting at the cold, hard facts sometimes are not as, uh, intriguing or not as interesting a tale as a, uh, a long tail. Right. I think the phrase is something like, um, a rumor travels the world while the truth is still putting its pants on in the morning or stuff, something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, um, so, yeah. And, and that's basically it is that, OK, a brewer's apprentice left a barrel out in the cold. It froze. It concentrated the beer and it got a really strong beer. And that's generally true. You know, when you when you make an icebox. So this is according to Jameel. Uh, the Jamil Show is a wonderful resource for brewers. It, it's been on air for like 20 years now. Um, you can find it on the Brewers Network, I think. But Back in 2007, uh, they did an episode on ice Bach and they were saying, you know, you freeze your Bach, plan to lose 20 to 25 percent of it. So if you're brewing five gallons, you know, you might lose a gallon. If you're brewing four gallons, you might lose a gallon. That would be more like you're losing 25 percent instead of 20 percent. But um, yeah, you're, you're
0: losing the, the water that freezes. Basically.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you've ever left a beer out overnight to have an exploding can or a bottle pop open in the morning, that beer, you know, be it Bach or any lager is not pleasant. <laughs> so the mythology to me doesn't quite hold up. Um, yeah, you know, I think the other reality of it is that if you are brewing an ice bock you are planning to monitor it very carefully. Like let's say you're freezing in a keg. Well, you can freeze that keg in a chest freezer if you have temperature to go low enough. Um, And then you want to check it basically on the hour. You do not want to leave it in your chest freezer overnight. (laughs) You know, you want to
0: No, don't roll the dice on that one. No,
1: I mean, there is some sort of trial by, uh, you know, rule of thumb. You can shake your keg. And when you start to hear that slushiness, you know, you're headed in the right direction. But it's not like, oh, there's some slushiness. I'm going to leave this for nine hours while I go, uh, you know. Uh, put, put the baby to bed and then come, right? Like that is not how it works. Um, You got to be on it. You want to brew a quality beer that, you know, is drinkable. Um, So it seems to be, there is some uh, shenanigans going on with this myth. Um, But, but what is interesting about Icebox is because it's a beer that is uh, freeze concentrated, um, you know, it, it, it strengthens the beer. It, it makes it much stronger than it would normally be. Um, and so it's just interesting to, to suss out myth from, uh, fact. Right. And, and I think that's really sort of, uh, what is so endearing about, about the ice bock
0: Yeah. And how it's actually made. I mean, I think it's a similar story with ice wine, right. Mm. As far as, um, ideally for ice wine, you're harvesting the grapes while they're still frozen mm. um, traditionally, right? Mm. And um, thanks to global warming um, <laughs> and harvest timing and you know depending on the sugar content of the grapes, um, you know that's becoming more and more challenging to do. So oftentimes the grapes are getting harvested and then frozen. Um, but I think anytime you are, you know, messing with the composition of something, especially, you know, removing the water. Um, it's a little, like I said, it's, it's definitely a roll of the dice as far as, you know, what you're what you're ending up with and what the process is going to look like. So I think it's a I think it's I mean, generally, it's an underappreciated style of beer, but I think it's even more underappreciated considering how much effort has to go into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so effort, work, labor going into it versus, I forgot to bring the barrel in overnight, or I forgot that these grapes were, (laughs) I paid no mind while I was harvesting these grapes and magically ice wine came into the world, right? It's, it's a very fanciful story. Um, But what the truth of it is, I think is a little uh, different. And this is not new. I'm certainly not the first one to question this. Um, uh, Years ago, I met a gentleman named uh, Conrad Seidel. Uh, he's known as the Beer Pope, uh, der Bier He He's the Beer Pope. That's his shtick. But he's actually in the Oxford Companion to Beer, and he wrote the Icebach uh, entry in the Oxford Companion to Beer. Um, and so he says that you know. The style seems to have originated in Franconia, reputedly in Kulmbach. Uh, The local Richelbau Brewery, now part of Kulmbacher AG, claims that an apprentice was ordered to move a barrel containing Bach beer into warmer parts of the brewery on an especially cold winter evening in 1890. He failed to do so, and by the next morning, much of the beer was frozen. The ice inside the barrel had extended to a degree where the wooden staves eventually broke. When the head brewer returned to work, he found the barrel busted in a block of ice encapsulating a small amount of dark liquid. This liquid to be proved to be far tastier than expected. The icebox had been invented by pure coincidence. This is at least how the story is told in Kulmbach. Uh, so, you know, Seidel's having a good time with how the story is told. Right. The reality is, if, if you are uh, the, the Kumbacher Brewery um, or there's there's some other breweries, uh, Schneider uh, is another famous one, you know, in, in Germany. And so um, you spend a lot of time and money into sourcing ingredients. You get the best barley for the best price. You get the best hops for the best price. You make sure the beer is fermented completely. You don't want to put a beer that's too sweet into bottles. You know, you, you can have problems with packaging. Um, these are very uh, concerned efforts to make the best beer possible. So it definitely seems fanciful that somebody forgot, and all of a sudden, Icebach was born. But it is a wonderful story, um, and and yeah, it does. It it you're absolutely right. The the concept of ice wine really plays well in in beer here because it's like, you know, by freeze concentrating, you come up with a whole new product. <laughs> it was just wine, now it's ice wine. <laughs> it was just Bach beer, now it's ice Bach. Um, But that's kind of what we want with 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 our drinks history. We, we want a fanciful history, um, and if it's not true, so be it. We can still hear the story, um, you know, which is which is nice.
0: So, because this style is so labor-intensive, and because you end up with something that is super, super rich, higher in alcohol, very malty, um, this isn't something that you're crushing, you know, every night of the week. Uh, this is definitely more of like a special occasion, very thoughtful consumption yeah. of this beer, um, and it is really hard to find. I mean, mm. i haven't I haven't seen it around, you know, except for like Schneider and Son, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've seen that here and there, but I haven't seen it. It's harder to, it's harder to get. Is yeah. this, is
1: this what you've also found? Yeah, for sure. Um, it seems like there was, uh, a Schneider drop around this time last year and somehow magically, uh, to the credit of the small, uh, bottle shops, like, um, uh, there's Harry's and Navy Yard, craft beer seller, of course. Um, and then I messaged, um. Uh, Schneider's of Capitol Hill, not to be concerned with Schneider and Son, the famous uh, Hefeweizen brewery (laughs) in Germany. Um, And none of them had it, although they did, uh, uh, Schneider said they had it last year. But so the famous beer that Schneider produces is Hefeweizen, and that's sort of a standard 5% alcohol by volume. They also produce Aventinus, which is a stronger uh, Weizenbach. So it's that Bach beer strength. I think it's probably seven, maybe 8%. Eight percent, um, and then they have Aventinus Icebach. So, in a really purely uh, mercenary marketing term, it's a brand extension, right? Like, and I'm I'm, I'm going to go uh, very uh, affordable affordability with my comparison here. You have Bud Light, you have Bud Light Lime, and you have Bud Light Seltzer. Okay, so Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Seltzer, the brand extension, right from Bud Light. I think for the American market, some people get Aventinus and Aventinas Icebach confused so much so to the point where I was calling to get a bottle of Icebach. People would say, oh, yeah, I have Aventinas Icebach," And then I'd get to the shop and it would be Aventinas Weizenbach, which is a great beer, but it's an 8 percent beer. It's not the 13 percent, um, you know, the, the massively strong Icebach, which is which is fine, <laughs> you know, but um, I think the reality is that this is a beer that is like a New Year's Eve beer or a Christmas beer or a Hanukkah beer. It, it, it requires some sort of festive occasion. Maybe it's a birthday beer. Um, and, and someone to share it with. <laughs> precisely. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I was mentioning, uh, I had asked around town and it turns out that, Church key actually had the the Eisbach, um, but I had to drive. This was a Wednesday. I had some friends in town uh, visiting from Miami, and you know I couldn't have a bottle of this and drive home. <laughs> I could have you know a couple uh, four ounce tasters. They had a uh, Le Petit Prince, the wonderful Jester King beer, which is like two point nine percent ABV. You know, oh,
0: one of my top five favorites for sure.
1: Wonderful character. Yeah flavorful, rich beers that are low in alcohol. So ice Bach was just a bridge too far. And I had asked, uh, one of the, the, the bartenders at church key, like, Hey, do you have ice Like, yeah, but I think you're the first person who's asked me for ice in three years. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I'm glad to have the privilege for me and some, some other person three <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And, and what's interesting too about it is that, um, when I was looking up on uh, the Schneider and Sons website, uh, they actually said that the Aventinus uh, they used the slogan "loved" since 2002. So I'm presuming that the uh, Aventinus Icebach is about 20 years old, and and I don't have confirmation from uh, Schneider saying that. But I did email uh, another brewer friend. Uh, His name is Sebastian Sauer, uh, and he runs the Freygeist Beer. So he's making beer uh, in a few different places in Germany. Um, But he actually had uh, some Goose Island uh, brewers uh, come to Germany in 2018, and they made um, Smoke and Ice was the name of the beer. Um, All right. Yeah. So they brewed that at the Vormann Brauerei in in Hagen, um, where... Sebastian Sauer produces most of his beers and they have an icebox tank specifically to make a big, what he says, a big spectrum on many different icebox types. And he uh, they, he says they use quite a bit of smoke malt for the beer. Um, he says it lagered for many weeks before we started the icebox process, which increased the alcohol level quite a bit. We shipped some of the beer to the U.S. and most of it was sold at Goose Island Tap Room, where it was very popular. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I and and I, I asked him because a lot of the German uh, brewers know one another, and Sebastian Sauer is well connected in the industry. So he had mentioned that he's friends uh, with Hans Peter Drexler, who's the brewmaster from Schneider, um, and he was of the mindset that uh, that that the Icebach. The Schneider Aventinus Icebox is actually blended with the Aventinus before packaging, which is another thing you can do. So on the homebrew scale, if you want to make, you know, five gallons, but you're freeze concentrating it and you lose a gallon through freezing, freeze, uh, just through freeze concentration, you can actually what they call liquor down. You can add more water back uh, to sort of reconcentrate, <laughs> to deconcentrate your beer, as it were. Um, But what I think is really interesting with Schneider blending these two together is the notion, the the legend is that it was just a Bach and from the just Bach, the ice Bach was born. Um, When in reality, at least when I listen to the Jamil show, when they're talking about brewing an ice Bach strategically, he actually suggests you know, using Pilsner malt, Munich, and Cara Munich malt in a different proportion than he would use if he was going to brew, say, a Doppelbach. You know, he would use more Munich, which is that sort of caramelly, bready, biscuity sweetness if he were going to brew a bock. And he thinks that that's just too much. That's too intense if you're going to freeze concentrate. So to his mind, to Jamil Zaneshev's mind, they really should be two different Two different beers brewed two different ways, Um, both ingredients—you know, the malt, the barley's you're using—and then the process, you know. Whereas Bach is just fermented out and then packaged, you know, keg, can, bottle, and the ice Bach is freeze concentrated.
0: Yeah. So a few, a few extra steps. That's fascinating, though. I didn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought of that for sure.
1: Yeah. I think part of it is the inefficiency of home brewers. Like we who make beer at home, we can be as tinkering and meticulous. Annoying, if you will, as we want to be, right? Whereas, like, you're in the brew house, like, your costs are fixed. You want to keep costs down. You want to be as efficient as possible. Whereas, you know, a home brewer can dedicate a whole Saturday or a whole Sunday just to see a gallon of Bach become ice Bach, right? Like (laughs) just to freeze concentrate, you know, it's like, Yeah. yeah, which it sounds like Sebastian on a, on a commercial scale, Sebastian Sauer over in Germany has, has really set up like he has an ice Bach tank and that's pretty efficient because then you can pull off the tank and create sort of new blends and different beers from one tank, which, uh, which I love because, you know uh, it, it's, it's a very creative way to do something that otherwise would be super labor uh, already is labor intensive, you know? So you want to manage, <laughs> manage how much labor goes in.
0: Yeah. But he always gets to do really fun kind of, uh, unique projects, which I yeah. feel like a lot of brewers are very jealous of. <laughs> oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, traveling the world is not so bad when you have, uh, breweries in, uh, Brazil, Or, um, you know, other places you want to go and you go check in on your beer, see how it's doing, have some Caparina on the on the beach. It's it's good. (laughs) You know, it was uh, the last time I saw Sebastian in in D.C., we went to uh, Pizzeria Paradiso to check on his beer, to see how the beers were doing. Right. And it was a wonderful experience, like, you know, because it's it's kind of like uh, you feel a little bit like Slugworth, like you're with the person who owns the beer, who made this beer but the bartender doesn't know this guy is ordering his beer. So it's just like, well, oh, how's the Kolsch? Oh, it's good. Like, okay, we'll have two of those, you know, and then you go and like sample it's like, okay, it's in good shape. Carry on. You know, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to do. Kind of like, a, you know, like an emperor wears no clothes kind of deal where you <laughs> you feel like you're like gaming the system a little bit, but um Yeah. And and it kind of there are all these stories in beer history about, you know, Germans going to London to kind of steal. uh, The London brewers had all the juice, you know, so uh, forget Settlmeyer, who, you know, who had his brewery in in Vienna or another German brewer would would have a cane and the cane was hollowed out. So on on the tour of the brewery, they would like steal a little sample and you know, it's like. Uh, yeah, there's wonderful stories in beer history about uh, Germans being in you know Victorian London brewhouses to see how how the sausage was made and to see if they could bring some of that back home, um, and then of course that's instrumental in um, Pilsner Urkel. You know, going to Pilsen, Bohemia, it was British maltings, right, like pale malt, that allowed the Czechs. Uh, you know, and the, the first Czech brewmaster was Bavarian Joseph Grohl. but uh, to come from Bavaria to Bohemia to produce the pale lager that, you know, Pilsner, it's like the most widely brewed style of beer the world over. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think there's always science to back up the story or to poke holes in the story I think is the great sort of takeaway there.
0: So as a, I'm going to call you a lager fanatic.
1: It's valid. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is this a style that you'd like to see more of?
1: Yeah, I would. You know, I think I think it's a style that can do well for a really specific event or a specific occasion. Um, and I think given how many breweries and restaurants have closed um, in the last couple of years, uh, I really think it, it it could serve as an anniversary beer quite well. Um, and it's interesting because um you know, there, there are events where this beer could do really well, but the reality of it is it does not move like hotcakes. So I think a lot of, a lot of brewers are loath uh, to put one out and it is labor intensive with the freeze concentration. Um, but I think there is room for it. I mean, the fact that it was so hard to find, um, what I would consider to be the largest, uh, icebox suppliers, either the Kuhnbacher icebox and the uh, Schneider Aventina's icebox, like obviously they sold through however many pallets came last winter. So like there is there is room to re-up. Um, and that being said, Church Key did have the ice icebox. So I think I just need to go there in metro or take a bus or an Uber uh, so that I can enjoy it. Maybe, maybe you, you can help me, Sarah Jane. We can celebrate.
0: our. <laughs> I was going to say we can we can meet at Church Key, celebrate the uh, the icebox episode with a with a split bottle of icebox.
1: That's right. I'll have to track our like friendiversary and be like, oh, it's it's May. And then we'll have a 14 percent ABV ABV dark lager in May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which
0: you I'm know, always down for
1: that. I, always. I, I feel like that would work. That could work.
0: As somebody who can consume Roush beer pretty much year round, right. um, I'm down for it. You,
1: you, you are like fully on uh, the D.C. rauch train. You know, you it's you, me, Jake Berg, Brandy and Richard. We're we're a small but mighty uh, faction of of rauch beer lovers.
0: <laughs> yeah, you could say we have the league.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see what you did there full circle we've
0: done this full circle well um michael thank you so much for coming on the show and lending your expertise i really appreciate it and um before we sign off is there anything exciting or um anything that uh, lost loggers is doing that maybe you'd want people to yeah. sign up for or attend because you sure. guys occasionally do classes that are really cool
1: so check out Key Brewing's seventh anniversary, Dark Lager, um, if you if you find yourself in Baltimore. Um, I'll be presenting at the American Cider Association's uh, annual meeting. Their conference is in Chicago in February.
0: Oh, CiderCon.
1: Yeah, CiderCon. So if you find yourself in Chicago on February 3rd, I'll be presenting at CiderCon. Um, and I think because I'm in Chicago, we'll have to do something, uh, with Liz Garibay or the Chicago Museum, figure, figure something out to do there. But, uh, by all means, follow us. We are at lost loggers on social media. Um, if you have a research project, we are historians for hire. You can email us, uh, lost at gmail.com. Uh, by all means, get in touch. We'd love, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike, Michael. Um, (laughs) and, uh, This has been another episode of Beer Me Radio. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram or Radio at gmail.com. We are available anywhere you get podcasts. So please like, subscribe, leave all the stars. And we are going to take a couple of weeks off for the holidays, but we will be back after the first of
1: the year. Cheers. Cheers.